Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartnized. Today's episode, Presidential Fantasies. Everyone who is into politics, who follows politics, has at some point in their lives said, well, if I was president, I would do this, and I would do that, and I would do the other thing, and here's how I would fix all the problems that we have with government. I'm no exception. And so, this podcast is going to be what I would do as president. Now, it's not going to happen. I'm not even going to be voting for myself, but it's a fun little thought experiment. Now, normally the Quick Hits podcast is 15 to 20 minutes long. I try and keep it short to keep it interesting, but this one, this one's going to be considerably longer. So, ladies and gents, fasten your safety harnesses, strap in tight, and hold on. This is going to be a longer than normal ride. Now, the first question is, how do we do things as president? We have all these limitations and all of these checks and balances, and how are we going to get around them? Well, there's a number of ways that have been done and that can be done and that I will be doing. The first is with phone calls to federal agencies, to the heads of the agencies, to say, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to stop doing. This is what I want you to keep doing. This is what I want you to do instead. This is a new thing that I want you to do. And if you don't do what I'm telling you, you're going to lose your nice, cushy, high-paying federal job. I did a podcast about this years ago. Uh, So I don't need to go into all the details of that. But yes, that's going to be one way to do things. Another way to do things is through executive orders. They are used and misused and abused by presidents to do all kinds of things. And I, as your new president, will also be abusing and misusing them as well. For instance, I can't repeal the Patriot Act on my own, but I can issue an executive order that says anybody who uses any piece of the Patriot Act in their day-to-day business will be immediately fired and lose their pensions. That'll be one of my executive orders. There's also the awful power of the federal government's Justice Department. We've seen this over and over again. They come along and they say, okay, we're going to hit you with 40 different counts of something, of anything, but If instead you'll plead to these six counts, we'll let you go to a nice jail for five or six years, and we get to put a little notch on our gun belt. And if you don't comply with us, if you don't plead guilty to these six things and do your short prison sentence, then we're going to hit you with all 40 of them. You don't have the resources to fight it. Oh, and by the way, we're also going to go after your wife, your mom, your dad, your kids, your friends, and everybody else. So, do you want to fight them, or do you want to just plead guilty to these four or five or six things? This is an egregious 
abuse of power, one that I'm going to be using. In fact, I'm going to refer to it as the federal whammy. And I'll be using the federal whammy on individuals who are running counter to my purpose. Did you think that I was just going to be a good libertarian, non-aggressive guy? No, no, no. I'm going to be drunk with power, folks. I'm going to misuse and abuse my position as president like crazy. The fourth way that the feds control the states is with revenue sharing. The states get an enormous amount of money back from the federal government, but they all come with strings attached. It's the reason why we have the ridiculous 21-year-old drinking law in America. All the states have to be 21 years old to have a beer. At 18, you can sign up for the military, you can get married, you can buy a house, but you can't have a beer. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. Got to wait till you're 21 to do that. I'm going to be getting rid of that one. So states will still be able to keep the 21-year-old drinking age if they want to. But just for fun, nobody's going to be able to sign up for the military unless they can go out afterwards and have a beer to celebrate. So that's just a little fun thing to throw in there to encourage them to bring it down to a more reasonable 18 years of age. And also the laws on what constitutes drunk driving right now, two beers and you're intoxicated, uh, that, that's, we're going to pull that out too so that states don't have to do that. But we are going to hit them with other things on revenue sharing, a, a lot of things as a matter of fact. The first thing that we need to address is the debt. We're up to nearly $20 trillion of debt. Over $60,000 for every man, woman, and child in the country. And it's just getting worse. We have deficit spending every single year. And they make a big deal. Oh, we've reduced the deficit. Oh, that means that we didn't go quite as deeply in debt this year. Yeah, how impressive is that? So what we need to do is we need to get spending under control. According to the latest numbers, we bring in $327 trillion in taxes and fees into the federal government. With that, we have a $587 billion deficit. So what can we do to knock that deficit down? Uh, Let's not knock it down. Let's knock it out. How are we going to do that? Half of our budget is non-discretionary, mandatory spending, things that we have to spend the money on, and they consist of Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security. Those are sucking down half of our federal budget. And I'm going to get to those in a bit, but first, let's talk about everything else, which comes under the heading of discretionary spending. And the biggest piece of that is the United States military. We spend $597 billion a year, nearly $600 billion a year on the military, more than the next 20 or 25 nations combined. And most of those nations are our allies. We've all seen that clip from the newsroom, right? We have become the policemen of the world, 
We are everywhere that we don't need to be. And it's time to put an end to it. I'm going to cut the military budget in half. I'm going to cut it down to $298 billion. Now, in order to do that, we're going to have to pare down our military a lot. It's still going to be the largest and most powerful in the world. But what we're going to do is first pull out of the Middle East entirely. We're going to close every base in every Middle Eastern country, most of the bases around or near Middle Eastern countries, and we're getting out. As I'm recording this, we're getting very close to a shooting war with Russia because we're fighting in Syria to get rid of Assad, to make Israel happy, and it's bullshit. We don't need it. We don't care about it. Do you care about Syria? How much do you even care about Israel? I mean, come on, this is ridiculous. And we're about to get into a shooting war with Russia over this. Nope, we're pulling out. We're leaving. We're gone. The 15 years that we have wasted in Afghanistan is done. We're pulling out of Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, everywhere. We are gone. And we're also going to stop selling weapons to those folks. Now, we have been involved in the Middle East since before any of us were born. And everything we've done has screwed things up for them and worked out poorly for us as well. I can't begin to imagine what would happen if we had just left them alone. Maybe they would have evolved and we'd have more secular states over there. If during the 50s we didn't overthrow their government and put in the Shah of Iran, maybe Iran would now have evolved into a secular state. Who knows? And have been a stabilizing force over there. But everything that we have done over there has been horrible for us and for the people who live there. So we're leaving. We're going to let them fight it out amongst themselves and we'll talk to the winners afterwards. Maybe open some trade with them or whatever. But speaking of trade, no more weapon sales to anyone in the Middle East. Maybe Israel. Because Israel is a little postage stamp on a football field over there. And they, maybe we can sell them weapons. But uh, we'll see. I'm not certain on that. Saudi Arabia, you better take real good care of all those weapons we've sold you. Because you're not getting any more. All right? And we're not going to get into battles with Yemen and all these other places. It's, it's insane. We're out of there. We're gone. We're also going to sit down with NATO, South Korea, Japan, and work out what we're doing there with providing all of that defense. We have to either get paid for it or scale back. We've got to figure this out. Maybe sit down with China and work out something with North Korea, because North Korea is a, a real mess. And they're really not a threat at this point. They're kind of silly and funny. But um, maybe we could do something with South Korea to help them unite, because that's really what the South Koreans want. And they hate having our military there. But at this point, they kind of need us, because all that North Korea has is an army. And an absolutely crazy man in charge of it. But whatever, we're going to cut the military in half 
There, I just saved almost $300 billion. And one last thing on the military. Drone warfare stops now. We've made a lot of bad calls where we've blown up hospitals, we've blown up weddings. But even when we do kill the bad guy, we usually kill 30 or 40 other civilians as well. Collateral damage. Known to the drone jockeys as bug splatter. That's not what we should be. That's not what we're going to be under my presidency. Right now, it stops. The department that everybody wants to kill when it comes to killing a department is the Department of Education. $80 billion a year goes to the Department of Ed and nobody is any smarter now than they were when the illustrious Jimmy Carter formed that department. Now, when I say shut down, I don't mean cut back. I mean close. I'm actually going to create a new federal agency, and it will have a charter that will only last for the length of my presidency, which is probably only going to be four years, but who knows? It could be eight. And it'll be specifically written in the charter that it can't last any longer than that. And it's going to be called the Federal Official Auction Department. FOAD, F-O-A-D. And Fode's job is going to be to go into certain situations and auction things off. And you'll see in a moment, they're going to be pretty busy. But we'll start with the Department of Education. And they're going to go in, they're going to auction off all the office equipment, the computers, the chairs, the desks, the buildings. Shut it down completely. There's $80 billion dollars. Ah, uh, you say, but what about federal student loans? Because that's part of that $80 billion. Well, guess what? We're not going to guarantee any more student loans. Now, this is going to somewhat suck for the people who are in college right now, but colleges are going to have to start getting more creative. The reason college has become so expensive, they've raised their prices over the past 30 years of five or six hundred percent above inflation. They charge enormous amounts of money for books, for tuition, they're tax-free, and they don't pay people very well except maybe a few star professors and administrators. And yet, you've got these enormous price tags on college education. Colleges have only been able to do that because the students 18, 19, 20-year-olds, hey, we can get all this money. Look at all this money we can get to spend on our college education. And so colleges keep raising the rates and raising the rates and raising the rates, knowing that they have a pretty much endless supply of money from these students. And a lot of times, the degrees that they get are absolutely worthless. If someone spends $80,000 getting a degree in... Russian folk dancing, uh, that's really not going to help them in the job market. And if you spend that much getting a degree in feminist studies, the only thing that qualifies you for is to get a job at Subway, where men will be coming in and saying, hey, make me a sandwich. So schools are going to have to get creative. They're going to have to come up with ways for their students to pay them. 
and they're going to have to start charging them more reasonable rates. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be very, very messy. It's also going to be messy for state schools because public education in the states depends on a lot of money that they get from the Department of Ed. And that money's going to be gone. It's going to disappear. Now, for every dollar that comes in, there's usually about a buck fifteen, a buck and a quarter in mandates. So it's really not great. But they're used to that money coming in and spending it on various things, lunch programs, all kinds of stuff. Not going to be there anymore, folks, because the Department of Ed is gone. And it's going to lead to some interesting chaos, and it will be fun to see what happens. And there will be some bad things happening, but I think there will be a lot of good things happening, too. I have a lot of faith in the creativity of Americans. Now, one other thing on student loans. People who have got huge student loans are in a position where they may end up in debt for the rest of their lives and just never be able to pay it off. And the student loans are not dischargeable in bankruptcy. I want to change that so that if you have paid more than half of the principal, if your total payments come out to more than half of the principal of the original loan, you can discharge the rest of it in bankruptcy. And now I have no idea what that's going to cost us because I don't know how many people are going to do that. Bankruptcy is unpleasant and not really easy to do, but I think we need to give some of these people a way out. We have people that have paid $30,000 on a $60,000 loan and they still owe $50,000 on it. And it means they can't buy a house. It means they can't start a business and we need to help them out a little bit. And I have no idea what that's going to cost. We'll have to work out the math on that one. Farm subsidies, $30 billion that we spend in farm subsidies. Mostly paying farmers to not grow food. We also subsidize ethanol, 54 cents a gallon. And we have a tariff on ethanol as well, coming into the country at 54 cents a gallon. So we're giving them that much off on producing it, and then we're charging so much in a tariff that it's not worth importing it and then we're putting it in our cars which is really stupid and that mandate goes away too all right you'll be able to put a hundred percent gasoline in your car now foreign aid we spent 35 billion dollars on foreign aid taking money from americans and giving it generally to uh, wealthy despots in various countries we don't spend as much as most people think. So $35 billion, people always assume that it's a lot more than that. But we're going to move that down. We're going to ratchet it all the way down to zero. And there's $35 billion saved. I was surprised to see that we only spent $2 billion a year on the DEA, on the Drug Enforcement Agency. We're not going to need them anymore. We'll get into that in a minute. So they're gone. That's $2 billion saved. Hey, how about that wonderful TSA? Yes, the Transportation Security Administration. Don't we all just love them? Guess what? Bye-bye. Airlines will have three months to come up with their own security. And they can make it as stringent or as loose as they want and use that as part of their marketing. 
If an airline wants to give people full body scans and rectal probes and double, triple check them, that's fine. They can do that. It's up to them. No problem. If they wanted to stop people and say, hey, do you have a gun? And if you say no, they give you one. They can do that too. Most of them are going to have something probably somewhere in the middle of those two. But they're going to be supplying their own security. And the TSA will be gone. A fond memory for those who enjoyed being fondled by fat, frumpy people in uniforms. The EPA, we spent $8.6 billion on the EPA. And they are absolutely batshit crazy. They came out uh, a couple of years ago with a map that showed every piece of land they claim to have jurisdiction over. And it's like half of the country. It's basically every place that ever gets damp for more than two weeks is a wetlands. And so they get control over it. Pollution is one place that libertarian philosophy falls short. It's a really hard problem from a libertarian point of view. And I'm familiar with the arguments of here's how we can do it and here's the way that we can prevent it and so on and so forth. I'm not convinced. We do need some sort of oversight when it comes to pollution, especially wide-scale pollution. So here's what we're going to do with the EPA. First of all, we're going to cut their budget in half. We're going to go from 8.6 to 4.3 billion dollars. And we're going to say you, you, you can't use any rules or regulations that you have put in there since 2000, since the year 2000. And we're going to have them concentrate on going in and cleaning up the messes that they have created because they've created some really huge, horrendous messes. They're also going to have to go and give apologies and money to people that they have aggrieved to people whose lives they've ruined because, well, there's one particular case of a couple that cleared out of stream blockage. They want to build a house on their property, and they did it with local permission, and the EPA came in and said, oh, you couldn't do that. You didn't get our permission. We're going to charge you $35,000 a day in fines, and they've been fighting them for 10 years, and just it's become their whole lives. Well, the EPA is going to apologize to them, uh, give them, say, $5 million for their trouble and pay all their legal fees and then leave them alone. And there are several different people that they're going to have to do that kind of thing with. The NSA, $10.8 billion. They can't be trusted. They can't be reformed. I'm shutting them down. That simple. Done. We're getting rid of them. The FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, the people who protect us all from drugs and bad food. Yeah, right. It used to take four years to get a drug approved. Now it takes 12 and costs about a billion dollars. And considering that drug companies patent things the moment that they create them, the patent lasts for 20 years. They do several years of their own research before deciding if they're going to go and try and get FDA approval. And at the end of the process, if the drug is approved, and only three out of five do get approved when going through this, they've only got about five or six years to recoup 
all of their investment and earn their money back. That's one of the reasons why drugs are so expensive. The other is that the FDA has limited competition dramatically and dangerously. We saw this uh, was it six months, maybe a year ago, when that little skid mark bought a company that made a drug that's used by AIDS patients, but it's not a huge seller. It's something that these people desperately need. There's only one company that makes it, and he bought it and raised the price from $13 a pill to $750 a pill. And the only reason he thought that he could get away with it was because nobody else was going to spend the three years and the millions of dollars that it took to tool up to be able to create this drug. It was a generic drug. The drug is available overseas for a buck, but the FDA won't allow that to be imported. Fortunately, in that case, somebody did come to the rescue, another company that had permission to make that drug in combination with something else, and they said, okay, we're going to make this. They'd already gone through the approval process, and we're going to make it available for a buck a pill. So they took the wind out of his sails. But we've seen it recently with EpiPens, which were sold profitably at 50 bucks a pop, and then were raised to 300 Why? Because they could. Because the FDA had blocked generics and other people from making them. And this is something you should be able to go into a drugstore and buy off the shelf for 30 bucks. But no, because of the FDA, it's $300. And you generally need two of them. And they're only good for a year. Then they have to be replaced. This kind of nonsense only happens because we have an FDA. The final thing with the FDA was when they went after e-cigs and cigars. Now cigars, for those of you who are not familiar with cigars, cigars are simply leaves wrapped in leaves. Tobacco leaves bunched up together, that's the filler, wrapped with another tobacco leaf, that's the binder, and then a final leaf that's called the wrapper that provides a substantial amount of the flavor. And it's leaves wrapped in leaves, that's all it is. And tobacco makers, cigar makers, frequently come out with small batches of different kinds of cigars. So, oh, we got a new blend, we got a new mix, we got new sizes. And they'll come out with, say, a new blend, and they'll make a few thousand boxes of them, and they'll make them available in different sizes. Well, the FDA says that anything that was not made before 2007 has to go through their approval process. It's 300000 to apply. It's about a million all total to get cleared. And you have to do it for every size and shape of a cigar that you're putting out to prove that it's substantially the same as every other cigar in the world. All right? They're just being dicks. There's no excuse for that. They're just being dicks. All right? So, screw them. I'm shutting them down. They're also going after vaping. Now, their excuse is that it's on the rise among school children. Well, yeah, it is. About 3% of school kids use vapes. But guess what? The amount of kids who have stopped smoking has dropped by almost the exact same amount. So they're giving up cigarettes and they're vaping, which is far safer. You're not getting all the garbage that you get with tobacco. Well, no good. You got to spend that million dollars for every single combination of flavors and nicotine strengths that you put out 
again, they're just being dicks. We're done with them. They're gone. Now, what about drugs? How are we going to know if a drug is safe and effective? Well, we're going to have to figure that out. Something like an underwriter's laboratory type of thing. Independent places. Things from other countries. Uh, by the way, that will also let us start importing things from other countries, which will save a substantial amount on our drug bills. So we get rid of the FDA. That's $8.7 billion. And with just the things that I've mentioned so far... We have cut a total of $476 billion off the deficit, leaving us with a deficit of about $110 billion. And we will find other places where we can get rid of that. But that's almost a trivial amount compared to what we have been spending. So, now, the budget is much better off, and we're also going to go after fraud and waste and abuse and, you know, the... Studies about the best way to massage a rabbit. Yes, they did that. We're going to find other departments to close and to shut down. Uh, things like uh, the EEOC, nonsense organization. They don't get a whole lot of money, but they cost businesses a whole lot of money. Uh, they proved themselves irrelevant entirely when they went after Hooters for not hiring fat guys as waiters. Uh, and that was... Years and years and years ago, they just proved that they're worthless. So let's get rid of them. They just cost employers a lot of money. There's a lot of agencies like that that we can just go through and wipe out. So now our budget is pretty much taken care of. We'll get to uh, Medicare and Medicaid in a bit and Social Security. The war on drugs is over. It's done. We're finished. There is no more war on drugs. Anybody who's 18 or older should be able to walk into a store and buy whatever they want. And I mean whatever they want. All right? That's it. You just took a big chunk out of organized crime. You just took a big chunk out of smuggling. And by the way, every single country who has done this has found that drug use has gone down. Overdoses have just about disappeared. Crime has plummeted. There is no downside to it. All right, typically what happens is uh, when everything becomes legal, there'll be a brief spike as people run out to experiment, and then it starts dropping, and then it continues to drop steadily. Taxes that are collected on those drugs can be used, at least in part, for rehabilitation. People want to spend money on rehab centers, which eh, I don't know how well those work, but that's a different subject for a different show. No more war on drugs. We just got rid of... A huge number of police killings. We just got rid of a whole bunch of bad stuff. And as an added bonus, anyone who is in jail for a non-violent drug offense, if they have no violence in their criminal history, is now pardoned. Whether they're in a state prison or a federal prison, it doesn't matter. I, as president, am pardoning them. There. I just cut the prison population in half. That's going to save a lot of money. Now, here's one that's going to really upset all the nannies, which is one of the reasons to do it, but also it's an important step, I think. Any state that has smoking restrictions in place for privately owned businesses, including those open to the public, and especially those open to the public, are going to lose half of all 
their federal funding. Half of it, gone. No, nope, it's not up for negotiation. And that means if there's a borough somewhere in your state or a city or a town or a village that says, no, you can't smoke in a bar, the whole state is going to suffer for it. Half of your federal money for everything, gone. Now, I'm going to give you a year to do that, to change that, to pass a law so that you can rescind the laws for smoking restrictions. And I really think that 95% of the places that are out there uh, that did allow smoking probably aren't going to allow it again. But these smoking bans have destroyed tens of thousands of businesses, not just bars and taverns, but restaurants, diners, pool halls, bingo parlors, really cut bingo parlors right in half. And so we're going to let business owners decide themselves what's the best way to serve their customers. They can have no smoking if they want. Like I said, I think most of them still will. They can have smoking and non-smoking sections. They can make the whole place smoking if they want. It's up to them. But states, we're not kidding here. You're going to have one year and then half your federal money is going to be gone. And I bet there's going to be at least a few states who are going to say, well, we're not going to do it. Well, you're going to pay then. Or actually, you're not going to pay. You're just not going to receive. Okay, we have a lot more things that we're going to do with the states, for the states, and to the states. We'll get back to that in a minute. But first, I want to get back to the non-discretionary spending, the Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. The problem with all of these is not just what we're spending now, but what we're going to have to spend in the future. More money than exists on the planet. So we have to deal with this. By the way, the first thing we're going to do is we're also going to get rid of Obamacare. Obamacare has been a disaster. We have seen people that have had their monthly insurance premiums go from $400 to $1,200 seen their deductibles double or triple, see their co-pays double. They're paying all this extra money. They're getting really nothing in return for it. And the price of medicine stays enormously high. And the reason for that, and I've covered this in an older podcast quite a while ago, is that the insurance, either federal insurance or private insurance, pays all the medical bills. So there is no reason to shop. Every other technology has gone down in price, but not medicine. Now, getting rid of the FDA is going to take care of a nice chunk of that, but there is more that needs to be done. The government pays an enormous amount of money directly to doctors and pharmacies, and there's no reason for anyone, there's no incentive for anyone, to shop for the best price or the best value. There is no free market in medical care. There's very little, at least. And so what we're going to do is we're going to bring that free market back. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to take what people normally get in Medicare and Medicaid, and we're going to give them 80% of that in a health savings account. And it's theirs to spend. But now they need to shop. They need to talk to the doctor and say, well, what are you going to charge me for an office visit? And the doctors, by the way, will be able to charge less for an office visit because they won't have to have people handling all this extra paperwork. 
people will be able to go in with a card and say, here, here's my account. You can charge me $120 for an office visit instead of $200 because you don't have to spend four hours getting paid. It's going to save a lot of money and it's going to help make medical costs come down. Now, this is not a panacea. It won't work for everybody. If you have a 20-year-old that's got kidney failure, giving them that 80% on Medicaid, it's not going to cover the dialysis and all that. So we're going to have to have some exceptions on that. But I think overall, this can help cut down the expenditures by maybe 10%. And by doing that, now our budget is going to be balanced. This is going to be a real killer, by the way, to try and get through Congress, because it has to go through Congress in order to do it. But we're going to do it. We're going to give it a try. We need to get rid of Social Security. But we have tens of millions of people who depend on it. And they get a pitiful, crappy little amount of money for it, considering what they've put into it. And we can't just cut them off at the knees. Getting rid of Social Security is going to require a long-term fix. And here's how we're going to do it. Currently, employers pay 6.2% of someone's pay, and people pay 6.2%. And that all goes into the Social Security Fund. And the Social Security Fund is empty. It's got nothing in it but T-bills, which are IOUs that the government writes to themselves and then spends the money. That's going to stop. Any excess money that comes in is going to be put into an index fund. Oh, but what happens if the stock market crashes? If the stock market crashes, there's still going to be real money in there. There'll just be less, as opposed to a bunch of IOUs, a bunch of T-bills. And putting that amount of money into the stock market will also help make it more stable. It'll give it some inertia. But long term, to get rid of it, what we're going to do is say that everybody's 6.2% that they put into Social Security instead is going to go into a mandatory 401k, Roth IRA, or IRA. It'll be your choice as to what you want to do. Now, I hate the word mandatory. Mandatory is the worst word in the English language. Hey, Dave, you go into the company party? It's going to be free beer and it's going to be an orgy with Victoria's Secret models. <laughs> yeah, I can hardly wait. Good, it's mandatory. Oh, really? Uh, now I don't want to go. But this is going to be mandatory and here's how it's going to work. You're going to take that money. You're going to invest it. If you're 20 years old, by the time you get to retirement age, you're going to have about a million and a half to two million dollars in the bank. If you're 30 you're going to have about a million. Now, this is going to vary, of course, wildly all across the board for different individuals. If you're 40 or 50, uh, you're going to have six or $700,000 in there. So when it comes time to retire, you're going to have a huge chunk of money that you can retire on and you won't need Social Security. Now, this is going to be a real killer to get through the Congress and get past AARP because they hate the idea, they love the way that it's going now, even though in another 20 years, it's going to require more money than exists on the planet in order to finance 
So this is probably going to be the toughest one to put through. But if it does, we can solve the problem of Social Security forever. And just get rid of it. We won't need it anymore. All right. Back to the fun things we're going to do with the states. One of the biggest problems that we have with the economy is restrictions, both federal, but mostly state and local, that inhibit and prohibit people from starting and running businesses. If someone in a ghetto wants to do hair braiding, which is an art when you're dealing with black women's hair, they can't do it legally in most states without getting a cosmetology license, which requires two years of training and doesn't cover hair braiding. And people have been arrested for braiding hair, which is ridiculous. It's insane. It's got to stop. There are states that require licenses for flower arranging and for interior decorating. It's nonsense. It's bogus. It's bullshit. It's crap. It stops. And if it doesn't stop, guess what? You lose federal funding. It's gone. And we're going to tell you ahead of time. Okay, so you've got this uh, flower arranging license. Uh, get rid of that or it's going to cost you 10% of your federal funding next year. This is also going to apply to all the myriad of restrictions that get put in. Now, if you're a businessman, it really doesn't matter if the restriction that's keeping you from having a business or having a profitable business comes from the federal government, the state government, the city government, the county government. It doesn't matter. Okay, it's messing you up. So we need to stop those things. Things like, well, forbidding Uber and Lyft. All right? No, you can't do that. It's going to cost you 10% of your money. Things like uh, restrictions on food trucks. You can't have a food truck within 300 yards of a brick-and-mortar restaurant. Nope. Get rid of that. Oh, and by the way, if you close down a kid's lemonade stand, that's going to cost your state a flat $1 million. That's it. Gone. Now, we're going to be going in and we're going to be looking at all of these things and we're going to give the states a list and we're going to say, get rid of this license or lose 10%. Remove this restriction or lose 10%. That's a lot of money. And it's going to be a lot of things that get taken away. A lot of restrictions, a lot of rules, a lot of regulations. And we're going to see a lot of entrepreneurs come out of the woodwork. And that's going to make our economy boom. I'll give you one specific example of this. In Texas, they changed the law so that if you wanted to run a bakery out of your house, you didn't need a $30,000 commercial kitchen, which is what you had to have before. Instead, you had to take a four-hour food safety course, which cost less than 10 bucks, And then you could make and sell baked goods out of your home. The first year that they did this, a thousand new businesses started. A thousand. And some of them went on to become big and successful enough that they had to hire more people. That's how the economy flourishes. You've got people actually creating goods and services and value and Everything is much better. And we're going to apply this to a lot of things. Daycare licenses, all this kind of stuff. We're going to be chopping these things off at the knees so that businesses can flourish 
and the economy can flourish. Something like 70% of the new jobs come from small businesses. So let's see a lot more of them by doing this. Sports stadiums. Sports stadiums are the taxpayers giving hundreds of millions of dollars to billionaires. It's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense, and it also usually involves eminent domain abuses. We're going to build a $750 million sports stadium. The taxpayers are going to pay for it. It never, ever gives you a return on investment. But we're going to do this, and we're going to give it to this billionaire who owns a sports team. We're not going to give it to him. We're going to lease it to him for a tiny amount or whatever. And it will help the local economy. No, it won't. We can't stop you from doing it. But what we're going to do is apply the 10x rule. Here's the 10x rule. Money that is wasted on projects like that costs you 10 times that amount in your federal matching funds. So, if you're going to build a $750 million sports stadium, no problem. You can do it, but it's going to take $7.5 billion out of your budget. Yeah, isn't that cool? We just moved the zero over by one, and there we go. You want to spend $22 million on a road in order to bring a new company in? Not a problem. It's going to cost you 10 times that amount, though in federal funds. Let the billionaires buy their own stadiums. This is insane. Next, we're going to get rid of lists. We're going to get rid of the sexual offenders list. We've got 14-year-olds on there. We've got all kinds of... It's, it's insane. And it doesn't accomplish anything good. It ruins lives. If you've got somebody who's a sexual predator and they need to stay locked up, Keep them locked up. But we have people who have had their lives ruined. Teenagers. Teenagers who stupidly took a naked picture of themselves and sent it to the girlfriend or the boyfriend. And now they are both uh, on a, a sexual offender list for the rest of their lives. They did something stupid, but teenagers do stupid things. You don't ruin their lives for it. But we do. So we're just going to get rid of that list. It can't be cleaned up. It can't be modified. It's gone. Purged. It will be no more. No fly lists. Those are gone too. They're useless. They're worthless. We got 85-year-old grandmothers. We have infants, babes in arms that are on that list. Ted Kennedy got on that list somehow. And it took him, with all of his power and influence, nine months to get off of it. You or I, we somehow get on that list. We're on it for life. Well, it's not going to be a problem. List, gone, no more. Now we get to one of my obsessions, the police. Now getting rid of the war on some drugs, that's going to eliminate a whole lot of bad policing. All right? It's just, it's gone. They won't have excuses for knocking down doors at 4 a.m. and throwing flashbangs in the baby's cribs and shooting the dogs. Now, it's gone. Oh, and SWAT raids, by the way, SWAT raids stop. Any police officer that participates in a SWAT raid that is not something like an active shooting situation gets a federal whammy. And so does the judge, 
that approved the warrant, and so does any of the supervisors who approved the action. We do 200 SWAT raids a day. We kick in the doors, usually looking for a plant. It's done. It stops right now. Colorado is considering a law that would fine police officers personally $15,000 if they interfere with somebody filming the police. Sounds like a good law to me. That's going to be a federal thing now. All right? Uh, destruction of evidence, uh, confiscation of video stuff. Eh, yeah, $15,000 for every police officer that's involved. And I've mentioned this before. We simply cannot even begin to hope to change justice theater into real courtrooms for cops. That particular bit of corruption is built into every single jurisdiction everywhere in the country. That's not going to change. We're not going to be able to change that at all. But what we are going to be able to do is remove qualified immunity from the police officers. Qualified immunity was invented by the Supreme Court. It's a legal fiction that they created. And inevitably, when a cop murders or maims somebody, they get cleared, of course, but there's a civil suit. And those civil suits pay six and seven figures to the victims or the survivors. And the cops, eh, they walk free. Doesn't matter. They don't have to pay any of it. That's going to change. Any judge that allows qualified immunity as a defense gets a federal whammy. All right, the full force of the federal government is going to come down and they're going to go after him for every single thing they can find in that guy's life, right down to overdue library books when they were a teenager. We're going to make it so that it's not something that any judge will ever risk. So a cop shoots somebody, there's a $2 million judgment against him. He pays first before the rest of the taxpayers get wanged. And Fode, remember Fode? Fode shows up. And starts auctioning off his stuff, his house, his car, his boats, his vehicles, everything that they can get their hands on, including his beloved pension, gone to pay the judgment. Now, the first time that this happens, the police will be outraged. They'll talk about the horror of it. Their brother is being destroyed for no good reason. And the second time that it happens, they'll do the same. And the third time that it happens, they're going to say, gee, you know, maybe... I shouldn't be an asshole out there, and I shouldn't just shoot first and ask questions later. And maybe, if I'm a really violent person who can't control myself, I should find a different job where I won't be tempted to do these things. We'll see a profound and dramatic change in the way that police deal with citizens. Oh, and by the way, the program where we give them all this surplus military equipment armored personnel carriers and all that stuff, eh, that, that's gone. We're not going to do that anymore either. Shoot a dog as a cop, $15,000 fine, personal fine. Now, if you want to fight that, you can. Obviously, you, we have our justice system. You will go in front of a special commission made up of people from the Humane Society and maybe a PETA member or two just to be dicks. And if they determine the shooting was justified, you won't have to pay. But if they don't, it'll be an extra $5,000 in court costs. And again, you got 30 days to pay that. And if you don't, Fode 
shows up. Start selling off all your stuff until that fine is paid in full. Asset forfeiture. Asset forfeiture stops right now. It's theft. Last year, police stole more from citizens than burglars stole from citizens. And there will be no more asset forfeiture. And now we're going to have some fun with this too. Anyone who has lost money to asset forfeiture will be able to file with the Justice Department to get their money back. And what we're going to do, the Justice Department is going to have 30 days to look at it and say, where did that money go? Did 10% go to the FBI? Did 8% go to the DEA? By the way, when we do away with the DEA, all of the proceeds from all of their resources will be put into an escrow fund, and we're going to tap that for people getting money back for asset forfeiture. If you've lost money in asset forfeiture at any time in the past five years, you can get that money back. Justice Department is going to look at it. They're going to say, okay, well, you took $10,000 from this person. The police department got $8,000. FBI got $2,000, whatever. And those agencies have 30 days to pay. And if they don't pay, Fode shows up and starts auctioning things off. This is going to be real fun for the real corrupt police departments who have financed a lot of stuff over the years with asset forfeiture money. They might lose their police cars in their buildings. We'll let them keep bikes because nothing looks dumber than a cop on a bike. They may have to close whole police departments. And then the communities will have to hire private security, which will be cheaper and safer. It's going to be interesting. All right, we're getting to the end of what I'm going to be doing here. The Patent and Trademark Office... Uh, Patents are out of control. We, we, we let people patent really stupid things. Oh, uh, you put a curve on the rectangle of this phone? Yes, you can get a patent on that. That kind of nonsense has to stop. The fact that you do something on a computer that you could normally do anywhere else that you used to do on paper or whatever, you can't patent that. Uh, I, I believe a court recently ruled that. That's going to become part of law. And patent trolls. These companies that do nothing but buy up patents, they don't actually manufacture anything. They just look for people to sue for patent infringement. These companies are not only going to pay all the legal fees if they lose, which they frequently do, but they're also going to have all the patents that they've sued over examined with a view to eliminating them getting rid of them, saying, no, that one's invalid. We're going to put these guys out of business. They're insane. They're just horrible people. Immigration. Oh, immigration. You can do a whole show on immigration. It's really hard to get into this country and be a citizen. That's got to be made easier. All right? You should be able to get in easy. It shouldn't be a problem. As long as you want to come here to work, which 98% of the people that are immigrating want to do, if you've been here for a while and you're working, we've got 11 million illegal immigrants. We need a way to make them legal, all right? They're good, productive, hardworking people. And we're not going to deport them. That's insane. They're actually contributing to the community. They're contributing to the tax base. And yes, there are some criminals among them, but we can deal with them. We can get rid of them. That's not what happens to most immigrants that come here, with one exception we'll get to in a minute, we 
like immigrants, we are immigrants. We are a nation of immigrants. Uh, let's keep it that way. <laughs> Building a wall on the border? How stupid is that? How insane is that? Guess what? We have lots of Asians that come in here illegally, and there's an ocean between us and them, and they still make it in. So yeah, wall isn't going to do any good. Now, one of the problems that we have, though, that we do have to deal with is refugees, Muslim refugees. Most immigrants that come over here, the first generation that comes over here, they're kind of cloistered together. They learn some English. They speak their own language amongst themselves. They start businesses. They have kids. Their kids become half American and half whatever they are, Vietnamese, Mexican, whatever. They grow up speaking the parents' language and English without an accent, and they are considered themselves to be Americans. And then their kids, the immigrants' grandchildren, usually can't even speak the grandparents' language, and their immigration status or their uh, nationality from their parents is part of their identity and part of their culture, and they bring that into our culture, but they are truly 100% Americans. And that's great, and that's the way things should be. Some Muslims do that as well, but a lot of them don't. But 25% of American Muslims think violence in support of jihad is okay, in support of Islam is okay, and 50% of them want Sharia law. We don't need that. We really don't. I don't know why any devout Muslim would want to come over here. Because everything that we hold dear, from major things to minor things, they are dead set against. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of association, freedom to dress the way that you like. Pork, rock and roll, beer, whiskey, tobacco, looking at pretty girls. Everything that we hold dear in this country, they hate. Why are they coming over? And we've seen the enormous problems that refugees are causing in Europe. Now, the mass media doesn't cover this very well, or they kind of push it down. But we've seen tremendous increases in assaults and rapes and rioting, all kinds of stuff from these refugees in Europe. We don't need that here. Sorry. And even vetting them, the idea of, well, we're going to vet them. Well, guess what? The guy that killed 49 people in an Orlando gay bar was cleared by the FBI twice for security. And he was a second-generation Muslim. He wasn't even fresh off the boat. Just like the guys, the kids who did the Boston Marathon bombings, second-generation Muslims. And their parents were like, oh, death to America. So when you come in, part of, you're going to fill out the paperwork, right? But you also have to eat three strips of freshly cooked bacon to get in. That's it. And if you grimace, uh, if you don't like it, no, sorry, uh, you can't come in. Now, that will also keep out vegans and uh, ultra-Orthodox Jews. Uh, that's a sacrifice I think we're willing to make. Departments of Family Services have been destroying families all over the place. Now, they're done at a state level, but... If you follow this at all, what they're doing, they're going after parents for letting their kids walk to the corner store, for playing in a park across the street from the house in a gated community. 
they end up with Department of Family Services on their door threatening to take their kids away. What they're doing is tragic, and it stops now. Because anyone who does that kind of thing gets a federal whammy, and so does the cop that accompanies them. So Department of Family Services, they, right now they seem to be intent on breaking up healthy families and keeping dysfunctional families together. they got to get their act together. If they don't, they're going to end up with federal whammies destroying their lives the way that they destroy the lives of good, loving parents. All right, I'm going to wrap it up with some fun stuff here. Any songwriter who uses devotion, emotion, or ocean as rhyming words, or fly, high, and sky, gets their poetic license revoked and has to pay a $10,000 fine. Any commercial that says, this is where Santa shops, or implies that this is where Santa shops, $10,000 fine. And then, this is the final thing, this is what's going to get me elected, because every retail worker will vote for me based on this. If you work in retail, or if you work in food service of any sort, you basically, if you deal with the public, you get to slap one person per month without any penalty at all. A company cannot stop you from doing this, although they can give you an incentive. They say, well, we'll give you an extra $100 if you don't slap anybody this month. The slaps do not accumulate. So people are going to be very well behaved at the end of the month and the beginning of the month when they know that all of the retail employees or all of the service in the restaurant that they're dealing with have either a fresh slap or a slap that they need to use or lose. Now, it's got to be an adult, okay? If, it's a, if a kid is really acting up and the parent isn't doing something about it, you can't slap the kid, but you can slap the adult. There's one exception to this rule, and actually there's two exceptions to this rule. First exception is if you are a cashier, if you're ringing people out, and there's an error in ringing something out, and the customer says, that means I get it for free, right? <laughs> you get to slap them immediately. And it does not count toward your monthly slap. That alone is going to get every cashier in the world voting for me. And the other exception is if you work for Walmart, you get two slaps per month. And that's it. That's my whole presidential platform, folks. Uh, don't vote for me, though, because it's really not going to do you any good. You're better off probably voting for Vermin Supreme than you are for me. But anyways, now I've got that all out of my system. We can get on to other things. And if you've learned a little something or you've changed your mind, or even if you could just understand a different point of view without agreeing with it, congratulations, you've been smartenized. I know this has been incredibly late, folks. Eh, you're used to me being late, right? It happens. Real life has been uh, taking a huge dump on me right now, so I've just been too busy. But I've given you the longest quick hits ever in history. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's a thing. I got a lot of really good comments on the Clueless one that I did. The last one that I did... And I had thought that would be kind of a throwaway. I didn't think that was one of my better ones. But you guys 
loved it and responded to it more than you have to other things. So when you're creating content, you never really know if it's good or not. You're, you're, you're not the best judge of it. So things that you throw out, sometimes you say, ah, this is kind of trivial. People won't like it. They love it. And you put out things that say, oh, this is brilliant. People will love it. And you just get a little polite golf clap. But hey, if you want to respond to this one, and please don't respond to every point because it'll take you forever. But if you want to respond to this one or any of them, uh, Dave at DaveHit.com. It's easy enough to do. Or on the Facebook page. So thanks for bearing with me on this whole thing. And just remember that the Quick Hits Podcast is nothing more than a journal of one man's opinion and therefore should not be taken too seriously. Seriously.